Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. What is up, the Rim Church family? If we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Lashad James. Uh, I am married to this beautiful woman in the front row, Doriana James. I have two beautiful children, Justice James and Champion James, uh, who is actually due to be born in like five days. Yeah. Um, So me and my wife have decided, like, if you see her stand up and you see me walk away, the sermon's going to turn into a devotional, and then we're going to go have a baby, and then you all can kind of hang out here. Um, I get the pleasure of leading a house church with George and Kirby. It's, it's one of the greatest joys of my life. It was the one thing, yeah, honestly, it was the one thing I felt like I was missing in my spiritual journey, just being able to be a part of a community that's chasing after God together. And it just means the world to me uh, to do that. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I know a lot of times we put the scriptures up on the screen and you see people who carry their Bibles with them. And every week you all bring your Bibles, you know, and even though the scriptures on the screen, there's something about having it in your hand. But today you get rewarded because I need everyone to actually be looking at their Bible because I'm going to ask a question. And unless you have the scripture in front of you, it might be hard for you to answer. And the question is very simple. What detail do you see in the text and what questions do you still have about the text? All right. What detail do you have? What detail do you see in the text? And what question do you have about the text? It's going to be a lot easier for you to answer me if you're actually looking at it yourself. But before we get started, we have to kind of address the elephant in the room. It's the end of October going into November. Christians are kind of split. You know, if you know what I'm talking about, nod your head. But she's getting kind of tight, you know. I'm actually talking about Halloween. See, some of y'all... Yeah, yeah, I thought you were talking about something. Halloween, it splits people, right? It's a really weird holiday. Like some of you in this room, uh, you can't wait to celebrate. You can't wait to collect candy. Uh, And then others of you in this room are just like, that is a pagan holiday, and my family will have nothing to do with it. Some of you are like lighting the jack-o'-lantern saying, like, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. (laughs) You know, Uh, this light represents Jesus being shown, lighting up the darkness, and like you're doing all, and other people are like, no, I will have no parts of this. Like even when you look at this photo, there's a photo I pulled up. Uh, it, was, it was really weird. This photo, when you see it, half of you want to do this. The other half of you are like totally upset that this is done. Like it seems like blasphemy, right? How many, how many people, if you're honest, you're like, that's kind of cool. I wouldn't mind having that in my front yard. Okay, and be honest, how many of you are like, that just feels like total blasphemy. Like I don't like it at all. Let me ask this. How many people love scary movies? You love the Halloween season. It's just like your thing. Just taking a poll. How many of you cannot stand scary movies? Why would I pay to be scared? Life is scary enough, right? Bills are scary. Life is scary enough. Um, last poll. How many of you be doing some trick-or-treating over the next couple of days? Either handing out candy or going out? How many of you will not be participating at all? Just like, I'm, it's not my thing. It's okay. Be proud. Hey, it's okay. It's totally okay. Hey, I'm not my thing. Um, interestingly enough, we're going to meet a man in John chapter 5. Uh, and and, and it's, it's weird because he has this, this kind of supernatural superstition about this pool he's going to be in. And Halloween's strange for me because I'm okay with the candy, but when it gets into like the supernatural stuff, it gets a little weird for me. 
Um, but it's interesting enough, we're going to find a man here in John chapter 5 who's put his hope in some supernatural superstition, and I'm actually excited for us to watch the story together. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive right in. God, I thank you. I thank you that you've given us your word, that we can actually read it together, we can explore it together. I thank you that your spirit is already speaking to your people here in this church, Um, and I ask that you would help me to facilitate a conversation that you've already started with your people. They've come in here with uh, different questions. They're they're looking for answers. They want to hear from you. And so, God, I would just be honored to be used as uh, a vessel to help them discover what it is you're saying to them and maybe give clarity on the appropriate next steps. And so I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to read John chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And I'm actually going to put Steve on the spot. And I'm going to have him read it. And again, we're going to ask the question, what details do you see in the text And what questions do you have about the text? So here it is, John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethsaida in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lays a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Why did Jesus choose him? Like, if Jesus has the secret sauce, right, and he could heal anyone, and he walks in and there's a large room of people who all need something, like, what made Jesus find one person and heal him? Like, why not just open up a hospital right there and just, like, just start popping off healings one at a time? Unless the point of the healing was not the healing itself, but unless it was something like a sign to point to a greater thing? I don't know. Let's see. What else? What's up with the festivals? Uh, Why mention the name of the pool? What's Jesus doing hanging out here? Verse 4. Let's talk about verse 4. Verse 4 in earlier, uh, verse 4, it actually says, and I'll, I'll read it out loud and I'll tell you why it's not there. It says that the paralyzed were there and they waited for the moving of the waters. And from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir or trouble the waters. The first one into the pool after such a disturbance was cured of whatever disease they had. So here's the deal. When we look at the earliest manuscripts of John, we don't find verse 4 written in there. Uh, It's likely it was added to the margins to explain verse 7, to be like, what the heck, why are all these people here? But again, as we look back into the earliest manuscripts of John, it's just simply not there, which is why it's omitted in the verses, in the Bibles that you have. If you're reading the King James Version or New King James Version, you'll see it in there. Uh, But here's what I want to say. The scriptures that we have, they're safe, okay? they're, They're safe. This is the most scrutinized textbook that exists. And so it is safe to be able to consume it and read it and trust it as a vehicle of truth. Um, and if you want to talk more about that, I would love to. It's just not the point of this sermon, but you can meet me afterwards and we can talk about it. Um, verse 6, verse 6, uh, it says here, why uh, do you want to get well? And this tone is very interesting because the way you interpret the tone might say a lot about who you think God is. How many of you might have interpreted this as like condescending? I mean, one, it sounds condescending, but many times we are in our situations and we think God is just condescending to us. Like, do you want to be made well? Do you want your marriage to actually thrive? Do you want to actually do well? And the the tone that we might hear God talking to us says a lot about who we think God is, the character of God. 
when I was uh, growing up, I didn't have a father in the household. Um, and so the most men I hung around were coaches. Uh, they filled that role in my life. And so when I became a follower of Jesus and I heard God is like a father to you, I immediately thought, oh, man, he's a coach, right? He was just disciplined, 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 constantly. Like every time I did something right, he's like, great, but you could have done it better. Um, it's really hard to think that God the Father is very proud of me. But I had to learn that, that over time that the tone that I hear God in says a lot about how I relate to him. Jesus is rarely rough with people who are in this type of situation. He's hard on the Pharisees. He's hard on religious people. But he's not that hard on people who are in situations like this man. So it's very likely that his tone is not one of being condescending or being rough, but maybe loving and invitational and warm. Maybe this morning you're here today and you think God is upset at me. He's disappointed in me. He's, he's looking down on me. He just wants me to do better and be better. And I would just love to invite you into the possibility that maybe God is not mad at you. Maybe when he asks if you want to be made well, he's not just condescending to you. Maybe he's inviting you into a healing relationship. If you want to know the purpose of the question, because it does seem like a silly question. A lot of times you can find out the purpose of why Jesus says something by looking at the reactions of what happens after he says it. I'll say that again. A lot of times when you want to know why Jesus says something, you can look to the reaction to see what Jesus is trying to draw out of people. A perfect example of this is later on in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Jesus saw the great crowd toward, uh, that were coming toward him, and he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So as we look at the response of this man, it might actually show why Jesus would ask this seemingly rhetorical, condescending question. All right, so now, Steve, I'm going to invite you back up. Oh, make sure I didn't lose you. Can you read verses 7 through 9? Verses 7 through 9. Sir, the disabled man said, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. Keep going. And he said, and so the Jews said to the man, who had been healed? This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. So instantly the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now, this day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. So let's look at verses. Uh, so we see that, that Jesus asked the man, do you want to be made well? And immediately the man says, sir, uh, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. I have no one to put me in a pool when the water is stirred up. So here is the God in the flesh coming to a person saying, hey, do you want to be made well? And the person says back to him, I don't have anyone to put me into the pool. What we see here is this man, his hope is put in a lot of different places outside of God. He's hoping that this pool would stir up and, and provide some sort of healing power. He's hoping that when the pool gets stirred up, someone's going to help put him in, and he's hoping that no one's going to run ahead of him. But his hope is in a lot of different places. And Jesus is asking him, do you want to be made well? How many times do we bring our excuses to God when we're, we're asked a very simple question? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? And if we begin to list all of the excuses, God, here's all the reasons why 
my marriage can't be what you want it to be. Here's all the reasons why I'll never reconcile with my, my aunts or my uncles. Here's all the reasons why Thanksgiving dinner is not going to be a part of my existence. Here's all the reasons why. And we want to tell, even though we hear God inviting us into a better life, we can automatically start thinking of all the reasons why this is not going to work out. And what that exposes, and remember, Jesus' questions, they expose things inside of our heart. What that exposes is that our hope is in ourself to make things better. So my relationship with my aunts and uncles can't be better because they're not going to apologize or I can't talk to them or we just can't see eye to eye. And that's not me putting hope in the reconciling power of God. That's me putting hope in myself. Maybe that's just me here. Maybe that's just me here. Verse 7, he says, when the water is stirred, no one can put me in. John has this really weird connection with water. He has this really weird connection with water. In John chapter 2, Jesus turns water to wine. John chapter 3, Jesus says that unless you're born of the water and the spirit, like he he, he encourages us to be born of the water and spirit. In John chapter 4, he meets a woman at the well. John chapter 5, we see him at the pool of Bethesda. John chapter 6, he hovers over the waters. And then John chapter... And this is a super, super side note, so just ignore this. If you want to just, like, tweet on your phone, you can. Um, John chapter 7, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, and whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So this is a super side note. This is homework. I challenge you to go back and read John and see the connection between the water and the Spirit and what Jesus might be trying to say during each of those miracles. Verse 8, he says, get up, your, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus asked this man to do something impossible, and then he makes it possible. Jesus asked this man to do something to him that was impossible, and then Jesus makes it possible. If you're in this room today, those with ears to hear, let them hear. If you are in this room today and you feel like God is asking you to do something impossible, please know that the command comes with the cure. The command comes with the cure. You're not being asked to do something that God is not going to supernaturally empower you to do. You are not being asked to walk on your own. You're not being asked to fix yourself or pick yourself up. The commands of God come with the supernatural power to do it. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says that I will put my spirit within them and I will cause them to follow my decrees. Meaning that you don't have to approach your relationship with God as a rule book of to-dos and, and this is what you, ought, you should do and what you shouldn't do. And then now you're trying to figure out, like, how am I going to overcome this addiction? How am I going to reconcile this relationship? How am I going to live wisely? The commands come with the cure. The commands come with the cure. All right, here we go. We're in the last couple of verses, verses 9 through 15. I might be your favorite preacher because I'm be your shortest preacher, shortest speaking preacher. Verses 9 through 15, um, I'll have you read it one more time and then we'll, we'll close. Here we go. Instantly, <clears throat> the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now the day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, The man who had made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you to pick up your mat and walk? They asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse does not happen to you. 
The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Here we go. Let's talk about the tonality of like what, what Jesus is saying here. Verse 10 through 13, the law prohibits you from carrying the mat. Um, this isn't true. This man was not violating uh, the actual Old Testament law. Uh, what happened is the, the Jews had the Old Testament, and then they created kind of these separate guidelines that people would violate. And if you violated those separate guidelines, they would kind of come down on you. But this man is not violating the law, and he's not violating the heart of God because Jesus actually told him to take up his mat and to walk. When we look at verse 14, it says, do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. And we all kind of hear like the, the, the dawn like voice when he says that. It's kind of very threatening. Um, and I was going over this with my house church, and, and, and we kind of discovered that, again, how you interpret the tone of this command says a lot about what you think about God. It may say a lot about what you think about God. You might, some people heard this, and I think it was Brett who heard it, and he was like, I didn't hear any condemnation. Like, I heard that as the loving voice of the Father. And I'm over here like, yo, I heard it as, like, the Godfather. You know, like, the Godfather's like, if I ever catch you doing anything. I don't even, is that a good impersonation? If I ever catch you doing anything, you know, you're going to be, something worse is going to happen to you. But if I interpret this, again, as God the Father, not as a football coach, not as a, a, a strict disciplinarian, but as a loving father who says to me, the consequences of your sin could lead to things that you don't want. Then it's not about him cursing me. He's not out to get me. But he's just saying, hey, there are things that you're doing that are leading you in places that are not good. So you should probably stop doing those things so that worse things don't happen to you. Does that make sense? That this is not about curses. God's not out to get you. But he is here to say there are consequences for the things that you do. And so... And as a loving father, I'm just saying, why don't we stop doing those things that lead you to places that we don't want to be? Verse 15, it says, the man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. We see here, and this is, this is kind of a theme in the book of John, that after Jesus shows someone a sign, many times he makes them a sign. And what I mean by that is he, he gives them a miracle, and then they go out and they actually start to witness that the miracle happened. The woman at the well, she left her jars there and she went back into town and he told, she told the people in the town, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. The paralyzed man is walking around carrying his mat that he used to lay on for 38 years. And as he's carrying his mat, people are looking at him saying, wait a minute, you're, you must be the guy who's been healed. The Pharisees are looking at him saying, you can't carry your mat. You're not supposed to. Um, but he's, he's actually starting to testify about what Jesus has done in his life. John chapter 9, there's a man who's blind, and after Jesus heals him, there's a lot of controversy on whether or not, like, were you actually blind, or were you just kind of faking it, or are you really that guy that was blind? And the man says, no, it was me. I was the one that was blind, and Jesus, he opened my eyes so that I can see. This does beg, beg the question of, like, what is the point of these signs? What is the point of any sign, actually? What is the point of any sign? Now, this might sound weird saying signs and miracles, but here, put this picture up, Jacob. Here's a sign. Welcome to Disney World where dreams come true. The point of the sign is to point to something greater. The point of the sign is not for us to pull over on the side of the road and hang out at the sign. The point of the sign is not to wish for more signs, right? When you see, when you see the Whataburger sign, you don't stop at the water. You go to Whataburger. Um, 
how silly would it be for us to focus just on the sign and not to what it's pointing us toward? How silly would it be for the sign to get most of the glory? How silly would it be for God to heal us in our own life? And instead of us using that as a miracle, as a sign to point back to him, the glory just kind of terminates on us. That God heals me and my wife and he heals our marriage. How silly would it be for us not to share the testimony of the things that we've been through? That if, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't say that word on the mic, but yes. Um, It God has done so many amazing things in our life and in your life, and I'm hoping, and my encouragement to you is that you would use it as a sign to point people back to him. I love apologetics. I love preaching from the word of God, defending the word of God. But more than all of that, I love the testimony that all of you have of what God has done in your life. And that is a very powerful thing that I think we may have strayed away from at certain points in time. We don't want to talk about the weird ways that Jesus saved us. We don't want to talk about the places that God has brought us from. And God has given us all these miracles and signs, and we just kind of tuck them away. And we'll be happy to quote from the Bible more than we'll quote from our lives. But may we be a people who, when God gives us a miracle, we're okay with saying, like, yes, God did that in my life. And I want to share with you, like, yes, I'll share scripture with you, but I also want to share with you personally, this is what God has done in my life. I promise I wouldn't share my testimony again because I don't want to be known as the guy who always talks about pornography every time I'm up here. Um, so I, I know. I do. I'm being told by my wife. Okay, so I won't give the whole testimony, but many of you might have heard my story before. Um, I was a very rude and angry person. I was a liar. I was a manipulator. Um, I cheated on my now wife, then girlfriend, um, addicted to pornography. Uh, I cared so much about what people thought of me. I was part of that football culture. I was trying to be the coolest, strongest, biggest person. I wanted the pavement to crack when I walked on it. Very prideful, right? I wanted to be 285 pounds of twisted steel. Um, And it was, and all of these things, I know I can't say it in the second part. Um, And then I met Jesus and I learned, number one, that God loves me and I'm approved by him so I don't have to fight for approval. He started to teach me that I don't have to, to try to control situations by manipulating, but I can actually relinquish my control and say, God, you're in control of the situation. I don't have to try to change my girlfriend. I don't have to try to change my wife. God, you, that's your job. Your Holy Spirit is the one that's changing her, and I get to partner with you. Those are just some of the small things that as God began to change my heart, I get to live a better way. I, it's, it's very hard. I don't know how to explain it without using cliches. But God has changed my life, and that is part of my testimony. And I would invite you to begin to share what are the things that God has done in your life. Not just five years ago when you gave your life to Jesus. What are the things that he's currently doing inside of your life? Jesus is calling me to to stop watching a whole lot of TV, specifically football. And so I've kind of sworn off this season just to see what happens. This is not a this is not, you know, prescriptive. So wives, don't look at your husband. I see like people are like, whoa, wait a minute. I was with you on the Jesus stuff, but you leave my football alone. Um, that's crazy, right? We could talk about theology all day. You mentioned a cultural cash cow and it's just, no. Um, no, but so Jesus has called me specifically to say, hey, why don't we take this football season off and try to replace that time with more time with your family, more time with your daughter that's growing up, more time spending with me and God's word, more time in community. And I'll be honest with you, it's been very life-giving. Between that and quitting video games, like, I joined the gym. I started working out at 6 a.m., like, you know, experiencing the joy. Um, Yeah. That was a lot of women clapping there for what was, 
Oh, man. Oh, man. The guys are going to hate me. It's like, you can't preach anymore. No video games. No <laughs> Throughout this whole story, I just want, I want to wrap up by saying this. Jesus creates space for us to experience his beauty by being a home for our deepest hopes. No matter how impossible the situation may be, no matter how long you've been struggling with the situation, no matter how personal and deep it might feel, Jesus wants to be the home for your hope, that we don't have to hope in superstitious things. We don't have to hope in, in things that aren't serving us, but we can put our hope in Christ. The pool of Bethsaida. Bethsaida literally means house of mercy or grace. We're wrapping up here, so, you know, just letting you know, we're landing the plane. Bethsaida literally means house of, of mercy or house of grace. And this man has been sitting at the pool of Bethsaida for 38 years, hoping that he can get a little bit of mercy, hoping that he can get a little bit of grace. And what he's noticing is that he's not getting grace. He's not getting mercy. And Jesus shows up, and he sees that this man has been here for a long time. And Jesus shows us that God is the greater pool of mercy and grace. He doesn't just offer healing to some people some of the time with some random lottery system. But he says that anyone comes to me. If anyone is thirsty, you can come to me, and I can give you eternal life. He doesn't ask you to, to do all the work and pull yourself up by your own bootstrap, but God, bootstraps, but God comes to you and invites you into a relationship, and he enables you to do things that you might think were previously impossible. He, might, he enables you to do things that you might think were previously impossible. Jesus is the greater pool of mercy and grace that comes to us to show us the love of the Father. So as we end today, you might be asking, okay, how do I experience this supernatural love? And you said it. Uh, earlier, we turn and we trust in Jesus. We repent and believe. It's not just a head knowledge of, of what it is God has called you to do, but it's faith that leads to action. Jesus tells the man to get up, so the man starts to stand up. In John chapter 9, Jesus tells the blind man to go wash in this pool, of, of, uh, and, and the, the man actually goes. He's obedient. Jesus may be calling you, Jesus may be asking you to call a family member and apologize. Maybe that's the, the step of obedience that you take. And as you obey, you're praying to yourself, God, can you add your super to my natural? You want to access the supernatural? God, can you add your super to my natural? If you've told me to do this thing, no matter how logical it may seem or illogical, if you hear God calling you to do something, you can prayerfully do it, not knowing the outcome, but saying, God, add your super to my natural God, I want your plan and your power to do it. Remember, we talked about the command comes with a cure. I want your plan and your power to do it. I want your miracles, but I know I need to follow your methods. Obedience. Obedience to the, to the invitation of God. So as we end our time together, there's just two questions I want you to consider. And I'll give you a couple seconds that we can pray this. You can kind of pray through this uh, alone, and then we might get a chance to pray together. But the first question is, God, where have I misplaced my hope? Where has my faith leaked into methods or teachings that just aren't God's voice? And I know many of us are Christians, and so this question might seem a little jarring. But how many of us know that as followers of Jesus, our faith can still leak into other areas you might get some money in your bank account and you begin to think that's my provision, that's my safety. Or you might have some success at the job and you begin to think to yourself, oh, I'm, I'm secure now that I have this thing and our faith begins to leak into it. You find a new podcast, you find a new teaching, you find something, an online resource that promises to change your life. And even as a Christian, where ultimately your faith is in God, your faith can begin to leak into resources and start to leave the source 
And it's not saying that those things are bad, but we never want to be so connected to resources that we forget the source. So the question is, God, where have I misplaced my faith? And where has my faith leaked into methods and teachings that just may, might not be your voice? And then the second question is, God, where and in what specific ways or methods are you calling me to trust and obey you? So here, I'm gonna give you a couple of seconds and please take this time to, to, to think about this, uh, journal it, write it down, and then we'll pray and share it together. for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.